Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this series, we are discussing CIC issue number 48, the dishonoring of God in popular spiritual warfare teachings. If you'd like to follow along, you can find that at the website citcministry.org. And we are now under the heading, The Power of Words in Unity. Last week, we talked about Hebrews 3.1. We're going to kind of pick up on that idea of the power of words. I'm going to open us with a quote from Larry Lee. In your article, you say, Larry Lee also emphasizes the power of words. Now, this is quoting Larry Lee. The devil cannot know all your thoughts, but he can know what you say. Your words can give him the entry he needs to work evil. So now our words are not only controlling the heavenlies, our words can invite Satan to work evil? Right. So Francis Fangipine, as we said last week, says Jesus is only high priest over our words. So if we don't say it right, he's limited as the high priest. Okay. Now Larry Lee comes along and says, well, now we're giving the devil a chance to do what he wants to do because of what we say or don't say. Wow. So how would that overall idea give anybody hope, confidence, or anything? I would find that to be crippling. I think I would spend my whole day overthinking every word that comes out of my mouth. Can I tell you what? I've experienced just over 50 years of being a Christian. Sure. And, um, you know, several of those, I was part of that kind of a movement, similar, and I got out of it 40-some years ago. But let me tell you what I've seen and experienced. I mentioned this in a sermon recently. When people are young and healthy, they love this. Okay. And they want to blame their parents or dummies in the church they grow up in or so you know everybody has got it wrong but we know what to do okay and we're going to say the right thing we're going to make a confession we're going to be more pious we're going to cast satan out of the heavenlies and it's appealing to some people who uh, think yeah that's why everything's wrong it's not the way it should be we're going to take control okay though people teaching it are older Right. But they don't, the leaders don't never admit any weaknesses. Okay. If they have them, if they have to go to the hospital or something bad, you just don't see them or they get whisked away or edited or whatever. They, in their portrayal of themselves, have no weaknesses. Okay. And so then they deceive people. And then people that get into this, When they're young, it seems like it works, but then they won't give it up. And I'll tell you what I've experienced. When people get old and they believe these things for decades, I've heard again and again, what did I do wrong? Right. Why am I dying? I must have failed God. And I can't tell you how many times uh, over so many decades of ministry, visiting people who are in the hospital dying, and they don't have assurance. And we have to assure them with the scriptures. 
And that's part of the reason in 1983, I just started teaching verse by verse through scripture. I had studied Greek in Bible college. So going back to the original languages, using what resources are available and getting the truth. Okay. Because if you believe these things, it may seem great when everything's rolling along, which is rather rare in this fallen world, but some people think it's okay. It won't keep you. Right. You can't get anywhere but confused and guilty and thinking you failed. Yes. And the false teachers will continually dump everything on you. You are to blame. You said it wrong. You made a negative confession. You let Satan work in your life. And I've heard from more people than I can remember saying that they were told that and they don't know what to do. It's so sad. And it's actually, it's the opposite of what Jesus says. Jesus says, in this world, we will have trials and tribulations, but take heart. He has overcome the world. Right. So that's our hope. That's what we rest in. Those promises of God are for us. And that we have trials and tribulations just means that we live in a fallen, sinful world. Not that we've said the wrong thing or given Satan a foothold through our words. It's the result of living in this world. I know, but they twist that one around. You know how they do that? How do they do that? By um, distorting things like the Lord's Prayer, the Great Commission, and so on. So they take all of those and make it about dominion? The kingdom only comes when we do the right thing and take control and bring the kingdom. Wow. In other words, rather than Christ ascending to heaven and ruling at the right hand of God until later, during because during the church age, people are being saved out of the world and added to the Lamb's book of life or however you want to conceive of it. I know the Bible says, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world and the names in the book. But the important thing is that once you're enrolled in heaven, which is mentioned in Hebrews, we talked about last week. Yes. We have the gift of eternal life and we preach the gospel. Right. But they say, no, the point of the great commission is for us to take control over the world and to kick Satan out. And so even what you just mentioned, which is a good verse, Jessica, that in this world will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. They say, right, but then he gave this back to the church and they fumbled it away. And I think we've talked about that. Yeah. And uh, so we're right back to the same mess. And it's all always our fault. Wow. So let me, uh, if you don't mind, I want to just read a longer quote from my article. It's written back in 98. And most people probably never read it. So I'll read some of the material I wrote back then. Okay. Pertinent. All right. Now, this is my assessment of Larry Lee's Dominionist teaching. And you can put in whoever the latest person is who's teaching that. Okay. Here's how I, back in 1998, analyzed that. The devil supposedly gains jurisdiction in the heavenlies every time Christians become angry along with other problems like not being unified with other churches in a city. That's parenthetical. If we say the wrong words, fail to get with the Dominionist spiritual warfare program, 
insist on doctrinal purity at the expense of unity, or are simply ignorant about the nature, identity, or plans of the various levels of evil spiritual forces at work in the world, we are guilty of placing Satan in authority over our cities and nations. Wow. So if our church doesn't have unity with the, all the churches around that are flying rainbow flags and have female pastors and have a sign out front that says we are the world, we're well, giving Satan authority? Flags back in, when Larry Lee wrote his article. But <laughs> yeah. It makes a but, good point, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's there. There was issues in the churches even back when he wrote that. They might have been different, but there's always been false churches. The unity that we have with other churches is the unity that we have in Christ. But apostate churches aren't in Christ. They're everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Now, there's been so many versions of this, but at one point, the idea was getting all the churches that believe the Bible together and march around the city. Right. That works better if you have a small town. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Making declarations, you know, like putting banners up and marching. Yeah. Jesus is Lord over whatever city it is. Well, ultimately, he's Lord over all. Right. Okay. And so if things go badly, well, then we said it wrong. Wow. And one of the things that happened with this that I saw was it was this forced ecumenism, this idea that we got to unify with everything that calls itself a church. And we can't teach doctrine because people have never agreed on doctrine anyhow. So let's just not teach doctrine, not get too specific, just have this general banner, which, by the way, still needs to be explained. I saw Kenneth Copeland on TV teaching weird, really horrible heresy, and a banner over his head says, Jesus is Lord. Okay. So, okay, that's a good banner, but his version of Jesus is Lord is very much like the one we did last week about this Francis Frangipane. If we don't make the good confession, he's only Lord over what words we say or what confession we make. Wow. Yeah. So you can redefine anything. You can re redefine who Jesus is, what lordship means, what the Great Commission means, what the implications of the Lord's Prayer are. We covered that. Everything can be redefined. Yeah. So the only possible way to know the truth is to go back to Scripture alone, to study, to learn, and also understand the priesthood of every believer. Yes. So if false teachers arise, we are to judge prophecy and judge teachings and discern and say, no, that's not right. But here's what happened. This is interesting to me. Okay. When we decided we need to do that, we started the group I was with by just, we're going to teach you the Bible. Yes. But then we started correcting the air out there that was so popular. Okay. Well, then that's it. We were, we were the bad people. Right. And I saw that I used to go and speak in different churches. And as soon as I 
did anything like discernment, it went to zero. We don't want you. You're not welcome. You can't speak. Go away. Wow. And that happened instantly. Okay. And then we said, we were told, you are in error and sin because you divided the body of Christ. Okay, so how do you respond to that? I said, well, we're teaching the truth right from Scripture. How is it that what God said in his word divides the body of Christ? Right, it, it doesn't. No, but they would say, well, we noticed this. Our church, some of the churches also decided that we knew to start emphasizing Scripture alone. Yeah. And when they started, somebody said there was this pale of death that came right over our church. Oh, wow. When they started teaching true doctrine. So there's then that just shows there was no love of the truth there. Well, what happened was eventually, as the truth kept being taught by people, that we would have come in and others that just wanted to go back to Scripture alone. Some people actually came out of those churches and said, we're not just going to follow experiences, manifestations, the latest, greatest. We want to know what the truth is. We need to be stable. Go ahead. Okay. But yeah. you end up with something different. But I'm not trying to build an institution. Never have. The church right. isn't an institution. It's an organism with Christ as the head. Yes. But that's really the, the next thing that needs to be explained. But if you look at this other one, if you insist on doctrinal purity, you invited Satan into your church. Wow. If you don't know the names and levels of authority of the various demons in the heavenlies, which is not even our business. Right. The, God's the, in charge of that. Yeah. Well, then you're just going to get beat up by Satan. It's your own fault. Um, honestly, this banner, Jesus is Lord, sounds good. But in fact, they're saying Satan is Lord and it's your fault. Right. Or you need to make Jesus Lord because he isn't unless you Lord. do it right. Right. Jesus becomes Lord when we do it right. Wow. Now, and again, the others that weren't so much into the charismatic Pentecostal uh, part of this, that were more traditional evangelicals. Okay. They'll pray to the seeker movement. Right. So in their case, well, yeah, we'll say Jesus is Lord, but it's a banner that's very, it's a real wide gate. And we got to invite all the seekers in. And we don't want to say anything that will offend anybody. And then it got into what we've talked about, you know, a neogram eventually. Right. Then it just opens the door to all the latest Christian fads where you're going to find another program for something that ultimately just take you away from scripture. So you have this nasty version of it, if I may say that, that I'm yeah. we're dealing with here. And they say, oh, yeah, we would never do that. But what do we have? Oh, we have contemplative prayer, Christian versions of yoga. We call it something else. Yeah. Neogram. Oh, and then political correctness. Okay. Okay. So now you can't have gender-specific pronouns in the Bible. Right. They're in there already. 
well, then we need to neuter the Bible to take them out. Because mm-hmm. somebody might feel bad. Yes. Well, dear listeners, and those who are here watching on YouTube, however you see this or hear it, we don't exist to make ourselves feel good because nobody said anything that bothered us. Right. We're here to learn the truth. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so the Bible says that uh, God is he, the triune God of the Bible, even though ultimately, yes, they said, well, God transcends gender. True, but wasn't Jesus a male person in the incarnation? Yes, he was. I said that in a seminary class, and they were dumbfounded. Wow, that's pretty sad. Well, the feminists were there pounding on the professor saying, you can't say he. Yeah. But the Bible says he. Well, right. But they say, well, in a generic sense, so make it so that people are happy. Sometimes wow. it says man, sometimes it says anthropos, generically. Human yeah. But when they were saying, well, let's get, get this offense because people don't want to hear it. So I said in class, wasn't Jesus a male person? Right. In his incarnation? Yeah, circumcised on the eighth day. Right. And so, <laughs> yeah. Since people, how in the world are people going to come to Jesus? We can't tell them he really wasn't a male person. Right. I said that in class. Everybody was stunned. I don't think they thought of it before. Wow. And so, what you find out is ultimately what they're looking for is some worldly version or control or whatever. In every case, whether it's this version, we're the ones to blame for every problem there is because we turn Satan loose. It's our fault. Right. Or you offended me because you said he. Wow. And, you know, that's even some of what has for so long been considered solid Bible translations are going gender neutral or, or at least limiting it quite a bit. The most recent edition of the NASB has done that. It's it's just really sad. Well, they feel like they don't want to offend anybody. It doesn't matter so much to me as long as I start all my sermons from the Greek, which I do. Yeah. And when it says the man Christ Jesus, the first right. Adam and the last Adam, that's what it says. Uh-huh. So in the end, there's needless offense that we can lay aside, but if people want a worldly version of Christianity, they're going to be offended by the gospel. Well, and that's ex- it's what it always comes down to. And then they just simply don't preach it. Right. And so they're caving in and it won't go anywhere good. And then it's not a church and our lack of unity with them isn't a lack of unity with other churches. It's a lack of unity with other institutions that call themselves a church. Well, yeah. And here's something I'm working on. I'm hoping by God's grace and should the Lord will to, to write a book eventually here. I think unity now is in a sense, translocal. I saw some theologian use that and I think it's a good term. Okay. What made me think about that? In the early church, before there were all these institutions, I can't recreate the first century, but I can get biblical definitions. Yeah. If Paul went to a city where 
the gospel had been preached before, and he went in there, there were maybe Christians meeting here or meeting there. Our unity is grounded in the person and work of Christ, being born of the Spirit, and knowing him. Yeah. And that we've been saved out of this wicked world. Now, today we have a similar thing going on with the internet and kind of how we're doing it here, putting things out. Yeah. I have a lot of unity with, uh, for instance, a couple in Japan that we've known over the years. Okay, uh, yeah. Organization, dear brother in Japan that we've kept in contact with. I've, we have unity with people in Australia or South Africa. I just got a beautiful email from a dear brother in Israel who's, uh, who's there and the wars are going on. He loves the truth. And I don't worry about their backgrounds. Do they love the truth? Do they love Christ? Do they believe the promises of God? That's translocal. Right. And that I subscribe to the same creed in the same institution, uh, the institutional church, it doesn't work anyhow. We just published an article about that because they go apostate. And so then they say, well, that's not the right Presbyterian. We got a new one. Okay. Well, then that's true. The Presbyterian church has to split every 50 years. And they keep splitting and changing. How about ditching the idea and just scripture alone, priesthood of every believer, authority of scripture, binding and loosing, and stop all of this? Yeah. And so the answer to the Francis Frangipane, Larry Lee, Dominionist, uh, spiritual warfare, isn't getting into a better institution. Is believing the truth. It is. And that's where we find that unity. Yeah, um, years ago, when our church was in South Minneapolis, there was one day I had walked up to, the, I think it was a Super America, a little gas station several blocks away to get gas for the mower. And so I was walking, it was a hot summer day and I'm in, you know, shorts and a dirty t-shirt, you know, toting a can of gas, walking up the street. And I was stopped by a couple who said, well, you're looking, you look like you're having a rough day here. Can we chat with you for a few minutes? I probably told you about this back then, but it was interesting because they proceeded to walk through the law and the gospel and they had some tracks from Living Waters and Ray Comfort and his ministry. And I didn't say, I just kind of played along with it for a while at first and then, and then um, just commended them for preaching the gospel clearly. And they had it rock solid. And they, they really had it down and they had done a great job in how they approached me and how they showed me my sin from scripture. And we just had instant fellowship. And I ended up spending a long time sitting there chatting with them on a street corner in South Minneapolis. And we had that instant unity because our unity was in the gospel. And I don't know what church they went to. I don't know what they believe about baptism. I don't know what they believe about the end times. There are peripheral issues that are non-essential, but they had the gospel down and we had instant unity right there on, in South Minneapolis because our unity is in Christ and our unity is in the gospel. Right. And that's what I mean by translocal. And if we can agree on the authority of scripture and the priesthood of every believer, we're not going to harm that by actually debating eschatology. Right. Nothing isn't important. What's ma what matters is, is it revealed? That's true. And Even so baptism is very important. That's an important distinction. Right. But, okay, so R.C. Sproul practiced infant baptism. 
I fully expect R.C. Sproul is in heaven and we will rejoice together at the marriage supper of the Lamb, even though we disagreed on baptism. I believe that that will be the case many times. But the bottom line is confessing Christ in the gospel, learning. Don't be anti-scholastic. Uh, don't assume that not knowing anything is going to help God. Right. Or uh, learning languages or understanding that. And have a hunger for the truth. Yes. Just have a hunger for the truth. And I don't demand that somebody sign on dotted line, but simply we're going to teach verse by verse through the Bible. And always, always get the scriptures, look at it. Let's get together and understand what God said. Amen. You know, you've often said we all have something we're wrong about, but whatever we're wrong about is hurting us. The more we study theology and the more we understand doctrine and the more we search God's word and the more we understand truth, the more we're going to grow in grace and sanctification. And we're still going to have things that we're wrong about, but that should be less and less. And the more we let go of false teaching, the better off we'll be here and now. Well, people want to follow somebody and let them do all the work. Right. Um, um, on that point, one more thing that really helped me as long as we're on this. Okay. Um, this was way back in Bible college in a group that I don't, doctrinally don't agree with a lot of, but they had good teachers. Okay. One of my teachers who was a, taught Greek and preaching and stuff, and another teacher said this too. Well, suppose you're a pastor and it's your job to preach on a text, whatever Sunday you're going to preach on. You study, you know that text, you know what it says, you know what's been said about it. And if there's issues, then they bring them up like we did with this last session about Hebrews 3.1. Yes. Explain it. But if some traveling professor who's an expert comes into your church because they're going through town, they want to go to church somewhere, that day, the person in that uh, church that knows that text the best is you because you studied it just that. Right. Don't get up there and preach out of ignorance. You have the text, you have the tools, learn. Especially today. We have so many tools that are accessible to all of us, even lay people. There's no reason to be unprepared. Right. And now we can look at it. And it's not a sin to say, well, I don't understand something. Right. Right now I'm preaching through 1 Corinthians, and there's a lot of difficulties, but we, we can do that. Be committed to the authority of Scripture, the priest of every believer. And when you get these wacky teachings, it's our fault. We let Satan come and take over the world. It's our fault. You know, right there it's wrong. Right. Is that what the apostles believed? No, it's a contrived teaching. And then... I mentioned that long quote that I had in this article. Yes. We're on issue, what issue are we on here, Just 48. Issue 48, September, October, 1998. These teachers are still out there. Yeah. So then I said this. Okay. According to this teaching, God is not our hope, but our words, our revelation knowledge, our strategies, and our willingness to submit to the teachings of prophets of this new movement 
there, by the way, are false prophets. That's our hope. Wow. Our hope had better not be in false prophets. Well, a lot of people put their hope in false prophets. 1.7 million of them, My according to Facebook. Uh, here, let me close with a little preview of where we're going to start next time. All right. I, I mentioned a guy named Earl Polk. He ended up being discredited, but here's uh, back then that hadn't happened yet. Yes. I said this, we cannot even hope in the return of Christ, according to some. Earl Polk writes, quote, until the church exercises her authority, Jesus will never return, unquote. Wow. So we can't so say, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. We can't say that we believe in the imminent return of Christ. We have to exercise our authority and get it right. And then I think his book was held in the heavens until. Yes. So that's post-millennial. Yeah. That, that's a huge thing. A lot of people believe it. Whole denominations believe it. Is it biblical? Yeah. No. Can you prove from scripture? No. But they believe it. And so that's why they compromise almost everything. Yeah. Because they've got to get this unity. If we don't get all the churches together, get everybody in unity, Christ come, can't come back. But I don't know what they do now, because back then they didn't have rainbow flags and we are the world everywhere. Yeah. But they had liberalism. Mm -hmm. So now what are they What are they unifying with now? I, it's, it's really not right. We need to get back to Scripture alone, trusting Christ, confessing the gospel. And we have fellowship with all those who know Christ and are born of him. And as soon as we meet them, we know it. Amen. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as over 100 articles at the website, cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramis. And Bob Dewey. We'll see you next week.